Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 34, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Good afternoon. Uh, well, good afternoon here. Good evening in Paris, where Pete Steinberg is dialing in from today, folks. Episode 34, it was an absolutely massive weekend of Major League Rugby. We're going to go through all the games and then look at the preview of what's coming ahead. Plus, we'll take an in-depth look at these last two weeks and how that shapes up for your team going into the finals. As always, joined by my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg. And like I said, he's joining from uh, the great Parisian city over in France. Pete, sorry to keep you up, but thanks for joining the show. Well, I appreciate you going early, trying to get the... uh... Um, a crossover time that's convenient when one of us is in Europe and the other one is in Colorado. Isn't that easy? So I appreciate you and Aaron being flexible and not keeping me up till two o'clock in the morning. No problem. I'm happy to do it. Uh, let me go with the travel tip here, Pete. You're over in Europe at the moment. I want you to give me a travel tip regarding trains today. So one of your experience on trains, we do aeroplanes all the time. And I love the fact that the train system in Europe is outstanding and you can go country to country. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me something good about the trains in Europe. Well, um, I'll give you a travel travel tip that I learned today. So um, Google Maps is an, an amazing for public transport. And you don't use it that much in the US, but when you're in Europe, you really should. So, <clears throat> so before I got to Charles de Gaulle, I put in the, uh, um, you know, I had a look and I said, right, I want to get from Charles de Gaulle to um, my hotel. What's the best way to do that? And put it all in. But when you get to Charles de Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle, I think, is the largest airport I've ever been in. It's, it seems to spread all, all the way across Paris. Because when you get into Charles de Gaulle, there are actually two train stations. There's um, in Terminal 1, there's a train station, which are the major trains that can get you into Paris, but also to the rest of France. And then in Terminal 3, there's basically the underground or the RER. And so I had only ever gone on the RER. So I, I put in my... Um, Google Maps said there was a straight shot. Looks really good. Takes takes about 40 minutes. I assumed I was going to the RER station, get to the RER station, pull open my Google Maps and see the dot is not at the starting point. So the trick is to know which station you're going to go out of in Charles de Gaulle because there is more one, more than one if you're traveling on a train. How's that? How's that for the putting me on the spot and me having a train tip? Merci beaucoup. Yeah. All right, mate. Let's talk about the weekend because it was a big weekend. We saw a little parity starting to take shape in the top four. Uh, A couple of big matches this weekend involving sides, not only with top four aspirations, but uh, also that top two, which is very important for the semifinals. Let's dig in. It was Houston on the road against New Orleans, and you and I have been tooting the upset horn for the last few weeks, and Pete, we finally got it. As Houston go on the road to New Orleans, they spring the upset 27-20. Yeah, and, you know, this wasn't a lucky victory. This was a very, very good Houston performance, Um, and the Achilles heel of NOLA popped up, which is their scrum. They only won 63% of their scrum, so that that was a real problem for them. Um, and what we saw was the impact of um, different coaching styles on uh, on Houston. The biggest thing that stood out, of, out for me in this game is that every single time Houston got the ball off the first phase, the first thing they did is they moved it wide. They actually stretched. 
And there's a couple of times where they moved it from sideline to sideline. This is not what they used to do. What they did previously was set up a big um, midfield penetration strike, give it to one of their big guys, and then have players come around the corner. So moving the ball from side to side really opened up Sam Windsor. Sam Windsor was able to do stuff. And, of course, Arata coming in at scrum half was a huge difference. I mean, I don't know if anyone wants to play Houston now. This is now a pretty impressive team to play. How about Paul Emmerich, the uh, super coach? The Cleveland Browns are going to steal him at the end of the year, I think. The uh, <laughs> well, I new mean, coach of Cleveland. I, I think the you know I, I I think Paul's done a great job. I mean, I think it's one of those things where sometimes a different voice comes in, and that different voice can pick people up. I mean, this is a team that has nothing to play for, but you could see at the end of the game how excited they were to be able to walk away with a win. I thought it was extremely impressive. And uh, Joshua Vithi, this was his return game uh, against the side he was suspended for. And do you think he was motivated or what, Pete? He has a massive day out. He carries the ball 13 times for 174 metres. And I think we're starting to see the best of Joshua Vithi, uh, an attacking weapon we always knew, but now just using him more efficiently in that back line with those carries as well. He was outstanding with two line breaks as well, four tackle breaks, one-on-one. You know, him and John Ryberg of Glendale would probably have to be two of the hardest players to tackle one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's the move of him to 13. So when they had him at the wing, they would often bring him off the blindside wing and look to run him through the middle. But it was pretty obvious that they were going to do that. But at 13, he's getting his hands on the ball more and he's able to be a little bit more creative. And you could just see they were able, with their wide attack, they were giving him the ball in space. But, you know, this was a big game for him, right? Because this was the team that he was red-carded against. And and you could see he he played it pretty close to the edge during that game. And I think there were some moments when he was um, very lucky to stay on the field. But I think, you know, it was the forwards of Houston that, I you know, really, to me, won, won this game for them because that's where Nola had some challenges. And, um, you know, Diego Magno had a huge game. He had 16 carries. So having a second row, having more carries than any other player on their team, that's incredible and tells you what the work rate that he has around the field. Yeah, good performance from uh, Houston all the way through. And like you said, they could really, really upset the apple cart on these uh, last two weeks. They have uh, two games remaining. Uh, One of those, I believe, is the Glendale makeup game as well. Uh, Plus they have Austin this weekend for the uh, the reopening of Aviva Stadium down there in Houston, which we should jump into and talk about a little bit later. Yeah, and I think, you know, hey, look, that Glendale game is now looking – very, very sketchy for Glendale. So remember, at home, they had to have a huge comeback against the Houston Sabercats. And I think this new Sabercats, if they get their lead and they have that dominant scrum, I don't think Glendale comes back against these guys. No, I think you're right, Pete. Let's uh, move forward just an hour. The games were pretty tight on Saturday, actually, three games. It was Seattle on the road to the Raptors. Glendale... Uh, mathematically, you know, they weren't out with a loss, but their season was pretty much on the line here because they now lose control of their destiny. They end up going down their first loss at home in Major League Rugby, 53-36. Uh, it was a tight game at halftime, Pete, but Seattle just looked very, very impressive, in particular that bench when it started to come on as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was – this This was actually a great game. I mean, this was a really fun game to watch. The ball was in play for – 
um, over 31 minutes. There was only 16 penalties. It, it, it was going back and forth, back and forth. But I think you're right. I think the bench was really key for Seattle. They've got some depth. And, you know, we talk about Samu Manoa. I mean, he came on, um, you know, the big, you know, the big move, of course, was Ben Seema just a few minutes in coming off. Phil Mack coming to nine. And then J.P. Smith, who ends up winning player of the week as a cover at 10. I mean, that's phenomenal. He had an amazing game. Really, really impressive game. And, I, you know, this Jeff, Jeff Hassler came on and, and, you know, he looked a little rusty. I thought that the, um, you know, the Seawolves outside back defense is, is problematic. I mean, Glendale made lots of um, uh, made lots of yards outside wide, but I think they just need to get there. But Jeff Hassler has a burst and has a step, and I think he's going to be just a real impact for them. They brought him in from the uh, rugby wilderness. Uh, he was down on a yacht in South Africa working and uh, plucked him out of obscurity. He has a little bit of Tristan Blewett about him. He's just a high-energy player who – doesn't mind mixing it up and getting involved. He took a couple of dings, but I agree. I think I even mentioned it during the broadcast, Pete. It'll be much better for the hit out. And down this stretch for Seattle, he could be, along with Simon Manoa, what a great signing late in the year. They also picked up Jake Elnicki, uh, Justice Sears Duru as well. So Seattle not resting on the, on the great roster they had that won the comp last year. They know they had to lift their game, and they've done so. But let's just talk a little bit more about J.P. Smith because you mentioned him. It was his intercept in the second half that really shifted the you know the balance of power to Seattle. Glendale never really recovered. It was a great counterattack from Glendale. They shift the ball from one side of the field to the other. J.P. Smith reads it beautifully, takes the intercept, and from that point on, it was pretty much game over. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, and in, in the first half, he really showed off his leg, right? I mean, there was some couple of kicks where – with the altitude, he moved the book, you know, he went from his 22 to the opposition 22. I thought he had a great game. And there are also a couple of really, really key line-out steals. Um, I think they were by Brad Tucker, two line-out steals that really took the wind out of um, Glendale in the, in, in the second half. It's, you know, it, it, it's, I think, um, and I think Dave Williams maybe even said this during the broadcast. I mean, Glendale was soft. They were soft in this game, and the Seawolves are tough, and it's not that, but I felt like they really didn't physically step up. And, um, you know, if you don't step up physically against the Seawolves, then then you're going to suffer. Yeah, another guy, we always talk about, especially you, Pete, you talk about your fetcher and Vili Toledo and what a big loss he was. You got It's a different player, but Nakai Penny has been so good for the Seawolves. His defensive effort, 22 tackles, no misses on the day, wow. which was just absolutely outstanding, considering the type of game it was at 53, uh, 36. So high-scoring game to not miss a tackle in the trenches. Nakai Penny, he's been misbehaving at training, judging by the colour of his hair, but what a great performance. And he just quietly kind of made his way back into this side, and he's been a real cornerstone defensively. I think he's freed up Ricard, Hatting, and Brad Tucker to do a little bit more work ball in hand as well, which has benefited the Seawolves significantly in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, you know, you and and when Vili comes back, like what do you drop? You drop Eric Duchel. This guy has had a great season, comes off the bench with a huge impact. I mean, you know, these it, it's it's it it is, you know, the Seawolves, I I think they've got some issues, as I said, with their outside defense. I think they need to fix those, but I think most of that is, you know, if you remember last year, Dan, they would um like Shalom Sinead was amazing at being able to pivot and turn a, a you know a, 
a hard up straight defense to drift. And now it looks like they're kind of in between. Sometimes they go up hard. Sometimes they drift. I think they need to sort that out. But I think that's a relatively easy fix for this team. Um, with the depth that they're building with these new players, you know, they're, 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 they're probably one of the favorites now, right? Going into the playoffs. You have to think so. San Diego are a little banged up at the moment too, Pete. So, you know, mainly Joe Peterson, but also they lost Dylan Orsley and Ryan Mattias has been in and out of the side with some niggly little injuries. So, um, you know, it could be uh, it could be Seattle's crown to kind of reclaim here. And, but like we know, two weeks until the finals, anything can happen. So still a lot to look for there. And uh, we could I could talk about Seattle all day after that game, but we have before to... We- before we one move more? On this game. One more. What do you got? I think we should recognize two Glendale players, two long-time Glendale players. So I think this may have been their last home game. And that's um, Zach Fanolio and Peter Dahl. Um, at least Peter's wife, Katie, has been pretty open that this is his, that was his last game. I don't know about Zach. But, you know, those guys, uh, uh, as players that aren't full-time professionals, have continued to play a high level and have been the heart and soul of Glendale for a very, very long time. And the work that Peter Dahl does at the tackle contest, I mean, I actually think Glendale are one of the best teams at the Ruck. And you can see it against Seattle, how much quick ball they were able to win, that they turned the ball over probably as well as any any team in the league. And I think a lot of that comes from the experience of some of these old guys. And Peter Dahl in that tackle contest is an absolute animal. He turned the ball over a couple of times in the game and his ability to clear out and create fast balls. So just want to recognize those two guys because I think that, um, you know, that was the last time that they play on, um, you know, at uh, um, Infinity Park as part of the Glendale Raptors. I think we should recognize the the career that they've had and the impact that they've had on that team. Yeah, well said, Pete. Two, uh, two very classy individuals as well. Great guys, great teammates, uh, their influence on the field will be missed, but I think off the field will be missed even more at Glendale next year to great uh, leaders as well. Pete, a little bit quieter of the two, but leads with his actions. And uh, Zach, an outstanding player in his own right and a great leader at that club. So great career for both of them. Think about all they did before Major League Rugby started as well. Both have been big, big parts of the USA rugby landscape for a long time. And uh, they will be, they'll be very missed. I'm sure they won't be too far away from rugby in some way, shape or form over the next few years. So hopefully uh, both stay involved with the game. Absolutely. All right, mate, Utah Warriors, San Diego Legion. This was a tight one. We've had an upset. We had a, a, I guess you could say a blowout, but it was a high scoring game. This one, San Diego on the road, some key changes to their roster going into this one as well. They were a little underhanded, in particular at fly half, as Tyanosa, hero down in New Orleans, gets a start at 10. And uh, the absence of uh, J.P. Peterson, uh, Joe Peterson, sorry. There's so many J.P.'s. Uh, J.P. Yeah. Duplessis, he's, uh, he played. <laughs> but uh, a reshuffled back line as well. Still no Ryan Mattias back. Connor Kearns, J.P. Duplessis in the centres. Boyer. And Toto Vassal on the wings. So it was uh, a different-looking San Diego. And they got out there and eventually got it done with the bonus point. And there was some talk during the week that they have locked up a playoff spot, I think. I think they have. Yep. Yep. And uh, that, is, that is official. That was that, uh, okay. released uh, 10, 20 minutes ago. 
There you go. Yeah, I, I know there was some confusion over the mathematics, but there was no way where because teams playing against other teams in the top four would cancel out the possibility to get maximum points to bounce them out. But so, congrats to San Diego, first team qualified qualified for twenty nineteen. But this was a performance for Rob Hoadley that I would find very pleasing that he could go on the road against a very dangerous side, Pete, up to Utah. And we know how talented they are. They seem to be getting better as well. I think better days ahead for Utah, no doubt about that. But to go on the road against a tough team, under you know, understaffed a little bit, um, with a lot to play for for both sides and get the win up there with the bonus point, great performance from San Diego showing their uh, championship medal. Yeah, I mean, I thought it. it this was, um, like you said, I think this is one of those decisions that you make as a coach. You know, you start um, uh, Dino Waldron instead of Paddy Ryan, um, you know, and you say, hey, we want to get a bonus point and we want to get a win. And, you know, we don't really care how ugly it is. And um, it was a little ugly, right? Uh, it was it was not a great show, but I think this is the Utah team that we keep seeing, right? There's the Utah, when they play, when they really play well, are competitive with any team in the league, but they're just not consistent enough. And this was a game where they were able to play well. It's a very, very even game. Like both, like, listen to this. So this is the way, you know, so the Utah Warriors had um, 76 hit-ups, San Diego had 71. Utah Warriors had 558 meters gained. San Diego had 515. Utah had five line breaks. Um, San Diego had three line breaks. I mean, this is a very, both teams had 10 turnovers. Um, 111 tackles versus 126. The difference being probably in some of the missed tackles. So Utah had a few more missed tackles. So, you know, it was it was a very, very even game. And I thought, like, I walked away from this saying, yeah, San Diego didn't play their best, but also, I thought Utah didn't let them play their best. No, I agree with you. I'm just looking at that um, tackle percentage, 78% for Utah. That uh, that's a that's a worrying figure for a coaching staff right there. Seeing that even 82 for San Diego, I think Rob Hoadley will have a, a long video session with his charges and just go over those missed tackles, 27 in total, and kind of dissect those because that's not a championship defense that San Diego have shown all year that they have. So well, maybe think, that's the style of the game too. It is. And I think they had some penalty issues. Yeah, you know, San Diego had 13 penalties against um, Utah's five. And San Diego have a little tendency to be penalized, right? Um, they they are, you know, they're all experienced players, um, but they do, you know, um, they like to play those edges and they didn't adjust to the referee very well, particularly earlier on around the tackle and the ruck. It was a, it was a problem for them. And so, you know, I, they, they're, they're a little bit of the team that when the referee says, hey, I, you know, release, they'll turn to the referee and say, oh, I had the ball on. I had my hands on the ball before the ruck formed. And it doesn't matter what you think. It's if the referee saying ruck formed, release, you need to release it. And I think some of them try to referee those games a little bit too much. So I think that was a bit of a challenge, especially at the altitude and with some good kickers on the Utah team. Yeah, definitely. Another good game from Nate Augsburger as well. Got to give him a, uh, a pat on the back for the way he's responded. He was under some pressure at San Diego to hold onto his nine jersey and he's uh, fought that off and really locked that down. And now looking towards the World Cup, you know, he's in really good form to compliment Sean Davies going into Japan later this year as well. So good performance from him. You already mentioned Dino Waldron. Good to see him get a start. They're going to need him through the final series 
to be fit and firing as well. Pete, our last game of the week was on Sunday, a standalone game Sunday. It was Rooney in a similar situation to Glendale, needing to win. Uh, for Rooney, though, it was not only a win. They needed bonus points as well, and they were able to come away with a maximum of five points, 27-7 against Austin. And again, I'm still kind of waiting for Rooney to show that polished performance. I get the feeling they're going to be a side that just eke their way into the finals and all of a sudden find form because that was kind of how Nyack did things in the past. And, you know, there's that Mike Tolkien, Bruce McLean influence over that side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about um, Rooney is we have to remember that a large chunk of their players um, still have jobs, right? A lot of them are locals. Like when you look at like, you know, Harry Bennett, Harry Bennett steps in at 10, but he's not there as a full-time player. He's got a job. And so I think that that makes it quite difficult when they make the changes of lineup. It makes it difficult for them to um, really be able to play their best. I mean, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I like honestly, I think what you can look at their poor performances and you can look at what that was when Ross Deacon got injured and stopped making the lineup. Right. I think that's, um, he's a, he, he's a huge part. He's like the glue. His work rate's really high. Um, and Dylan Force, it's a great player and does a lot of good stuff, but I think they miss Ross Deacon at eight. And I think they're going to need to get him back to be a force um, and make it into the playoffs. I mean, this this is a team now that, like, it's still fighting for you know to make it into that playoff spot. Yeah, they sit in fourth at the moment, just one point ahead of Toronto, but those two still have to play each other uh, on the final weekend up in. What uh, a game that's going to be! Oh up yeah, in Toronto, up in Toronto. So, then, so we we will know in the next seven days exactly what the significance of that game will be because they. Right play New Orleans this week. We'll talk about that. But I don't think they could get New Orleans at a worse time coming off back-to-back losses as well. So New Orleans have gone from maybe going to New York with a playoff spot locked up in the top two locked up and sending a young squad up there to we've really got to win this game. There's a there's a possibility New Orleans could slip out of the top four altogether. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's going to be an interesting game. But let's, you know, let, let, let's – before we start doing the predictions – Dan, let's yes. go back to the game. If okay, we can play, and let's yep. talk a little bit about Austin. So, you know, I'm, uh, Austin have good players; they really do. And and you know, Rodrigo Silva, just a great player. He can play nine, ten, fifteen. He can play all over the place. I, um, you know, Ben Mitchell. They had him at flanker. He's another. I mean, they've got good players. And Peter Malcolm's a very good player. But it doesn't appear to me that they have a lot of structure. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is sort of the French way. Like there are definitely some French coaches that hop back to the Pierre Villa Pro and the Toulouse approach, which is sort of play what's in front of you. And it just doesn't look like it's really caught on for these guys. And that kind of approach of play what you see in front of you requires actually a lot of time. And so the fact that Austin, you know, have had some visa issues and have had to add players throughout as they go through, as they went through, the season has meant that it's hard to get in that fluid approach. It's hard to get players all on the same page, but you know, they've got some just really, really quality players, but they haven't, you know, they haven't had a chance to do it. And, you know, you would think that this weekend in, in the uh, battle of Texas would, would be their chance to get the win, but they're coming up against the Houston side that, that looks pretty good. So I think, I think Austin still has a lot of work to do, um, I think the um, you know the forwards in Rooney I thought were really good. I mean I'm a huge fan of Nate Brakeley. 
and um, his work rate and, uh, um, you know, Connor Wallace-Sims is just a talented player on the wing. To have someone with that kind of skill set on the wing is is impressive, and I thought he also had a good game. Yeah, I think he's played a little bit of uh, distributor for Old Blue back in the day, maybe some 15 as well, but playing a bit of ball. So he's a very skillful player. Old CWS, he wants the abbreviated name as well to go with DTS <laughs> and SVW. So CWS, you can't, you can't have a, a three-letter abbreviation name when your middle name is two syllables. What about C-dubs? C-dubs. We can call him C-dubs. Can you check you out and see if he's okay with C-dubs? I'll, uh, I'll run it up the old uh, – I'll run it up the chain and see what we said. Yeah, but let's go back to Austin because I did like what you were saying there with that play-what-you-see approach. And I think it's becoming a little bit more popular with the, the structure of modern rugby, especially at 15s, where I think coaches are starting to look back to that old-school kind of play-what-you-see ball player at 10 and 12. But I couldn't have put it any better. It The whole team has to be on board. And I think – to play that play what you see style, you've got to play a very flat attack because if you go, everyone's got to be able to go with you. And if you're standing at too much depth, I think you can get left behind and get isolated. And that's when your turnovers come, which is kind of what I'm seeing with Austin. Now, I don't think they're all on the same page on what they're doing. Uh, you may play what you see, but I'm not going to play what you see. Right. I'm I mean, something yeah. else. It, it, it takes a long time and you can, you know, you can just see like they had another new player, right? So they had, uh, um, Takizawa, the um, Japanese prop, another new player that they've added in. I mean, there's just it's so much turnover. I mean, you, and you look at the bench, and you like the bench now looks really strong, right? They've got um, uh, Juan Echeverria now on the bench. They've got Carl Breitenbach. They've got um, Mo Abdulmanum in the bench. They've got Jude out on the like. It's a really strong bench. So it isn't that they don't have the players; they're just not on the same page. Yep. No, it's hard to uh, argue with you on that, mate. But two games to go for Austin. Let's see if they can steal a win for their fans before the year is out. Uh, A lot of good performances over the weekend, Pete. We've talked about plenty of the players, but I think the one we talked about the most was voted player of the week. And it was, well, I'm not sure to call him the scrum half or fly half because he wore the nine, started at nine, but shifted to 10 three minutes into the game. And it's the Eagles. The, the Seawolf's utility inside back. Uh, no, it's a, what a champion player and uh, what a time for him to step up to. It was J.P. Smith out of the Seattle Seawolves. And you and I did the first game on CBS out there and we we got a chance to talk to the coaching staff and everyone said, you got to watch this J.P. Smith. Like, this kid is legit. He's going to be for real. And he's showing glimpses throughout the season, but – on Saturday, he really put a full 80 together and showed the classy player that he is. Yeah, he really did. I'm, I'm excited to see him. You know, as a scrum half, I, I love watching him. He's got great service. But, you know, Phil Mack at nine, J.P. Smith at 10 looks like a pretty good combination. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, hopefully um, Ben Seema is able to come back um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty quickly. But um, it'll be interesting to see what Richie Walker does when he's got uh, – so many talented players at nine and ten. Uh, I think you go with the hot hand, right? You just—it's crazy hard, to, hard to coach to. against it's the hot hand. Yeah. Hey, Pete. Guess what time it is? What time is it, Dan? I want you to guess. Is it power matchup time? Pete, it is. 
And guess what I have this week? Do you have your theme music? Classic He-Man right there. Yeah, you know, that that worked well for me at school when I was a young fella, having a last name power. And, I'm uh, sure. He-Man he sure. was a big deal. So I milked that for everything it's worth. Hey, I've... Uh, I've I've harped on this a while. My my matchup of the week, my power matchup of the week, is going to be at New York. It's New Orleans, no. New York. No, no, because that's my oh. power matchup of the week. No, well, this is good. I'm glad when we we agree. I feel better about myself. You're such a well, decorated rugby mind. Uh, I'm I'm going. Uh, I'm going the scrum. Um, New Orleans oh. have uh, brought in some players. Uh, that New York scrum is is pretty good when it gets going. Oh. It's a good-looking yeah, scrum. Ryan last week, James Rushford, normally a loose head playing tight head, haven't been as strong. So it will be an interesting test. It'll definitely be interesting if Paddy Ryan comes back. Yeah, but you're will. right with uh, um, New Orleans. That's their Achilles heel, and it's where New York can punish them. Mm-hmm. What's your one then? Same game, I'm guessing. Same where, game. Where but I'm looking at the fullbacks. I think it's two of the most exciting fullbacks in the league. We have... Um, Eagle, uh, um, eagle player and opportunity to win his spot to um, Japan in games like this, J.P. Eloff, so young U.S. player against um, experienced England international Ben Foden. I think if there's a standard that J.P. Eloff wants to have, yeah, I think James, um, uh, I think Foden, Ben Foden is that standard. And we have to remember that in these games, it's often very windy, and so there'll be lots of kicks, and the fullbacks will get lots of opportunities to run. Yeah, that's going to be a good matchup too. Foden on the bench on the weekend, I think, more or less just to give him a, a, a spell, get his legs fresh uh, for this run against New Orleans and Toronto. Two massive weeks coming up out there in New York City. Uh, selfishly speaking, Pete, I think it's great if New York can make the top four. Big market. Uh, create a little bit more buzz if the side and they're a normal. Why is that? Openly speaking, you're now talking about everything about the league. You want New York to make it because you played in New York. Yeah, but I think it's good, good for the league too to have New York friends on that team. I think it's good to have a big market in in the finals <laughs> too. You don't think so? Yeah, no. I think look, I think it's I I think the um having a team like New York, I think is good for the league. But I think you know all of the teams will benefit. Any team that makes it will will, will benefit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think having having New York would be uh, would would be good. They've got one of the um, biggest reaches in terms of their network on um, SNY because they're actually they, they're down in Philadelphia. Um, you know, they're all up and down the East Coast, so I think it would be great um, for New York to make it. But you know, I've loved what Nola Gold has done. I've loved what Nate Osborne. I love the way they play on attack. We haven't seen it for the last couple of weeks, but. Um, you know, now's the time for them to get back into their group. Yeah, it'll be a big weekend. Let's just jump into the whole smorgasbord of weekend games. Kicks know, off we Saturday. Keep, we keep doing the previews before we get to the previews. I know. We're like so, so excited, ex- about, so excited looks, about the weekend. It's so, it's so exciting that uh, we've reached the penultimate round of the season and there's so much on the line. Last year, I kind of felt, you know, it was Glendale and Seattle where so far and, you know, San Diego made a run late, as did Utah, but I just never felt like those two were, you know, ever going to be tested. This year, you know, there's six sides still in it and realistically six can beat one on their day. So, 
But I digress again. Let's kick off Saturday, May 25th, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on CBS Sports Network. This is Austin Elite at Houston, and it is a christening. I believe it's the full opening uh, of all the um, amenities down there at Aviva Stadium for the Sabercats, and they are full of confidence coming off that win. Who you got in this one and by how much? So I'm back behind the mic this weekend, and this is the game I have. So I'm excited to um, see the Aviva Stadium. And I don't think you can choose anyone um, other than the Houston Sabercats. I, I think that, um, you know, a, a shift in coaching. They've added um, Darren Morris, the former um, uh, British Lion who was coaching in Dallas. He's now been added as a forwards coach. Uh, I think the um, – you know, I, I think they're playing a new wide-open attack. I think their scrum will still be strong. I mean, they rested Paul Cullen in the last one. I expect him to see him back. And, you know, Austin haven't shown us much. They haven't shown us much structure either um, on attack and defense. They've got some good players, but they're not on the same page. I think this is a relatively easy Houston win. Um, I still don't think Houston are going to score a lot of points because Austin are just awkward to play against. I mean, New York showed that this weekend. So I think it's going to be Houston 22, Austin 10. Yeah, guess what? It's going to be 89 degrees when you kick off. I hope you're in the air conditioning down there. Yeah, yeah. Let, now we'll find out how much they care about commentators. With uh, We'll probably be outside. Watch us be outside because they didn't think about my well-being during the game. We'll find out. And we'll get our first water break, which I know you just love, that actually means it something. It means a water break. That's right. <laughs> An actual water break. What's your call on I, this? I, I, I'm... I have to go with you as well. I mean, you know, my man crush had a great game in the weekend, 17 points for Sam Windsor. Uh, I think he really, no, he had a great game. I mean, one of the best games, but I think that's partly because Arada was his scrum half. His service is so quick and so good. Um, I think that made a big difference. But Sam Windsor on the front foot is a great player to watch. Oh, yeah, and he's a guy who can play what's in front of him too. He has that rugby IQ to see and process information very quickly, and then he's got some dangerous players in VT and Kalenisau. I want to see Esdale get loose a little bit. He looks like he's got some wheels as well and haven't really seen him stretch too much this year, but I'll go Houston as well. I think uh, they're going to turn it on for the home fans. They, they just seem like a different side since they made that change at coach and the players – you know, just judging by social media, seem a lot happier, a lot more, you know, and I, I guess winning kind of helps that as well, but they seem in a better place. So I'll go Houston at home to Chris and Aviva officially. Uh, I'll go 38-14. Big, big win. Down big win. For Houston. Big win. All right, mate. Uh, kicking off on May 26th. I'm just looking at our notes here. It says Saturday 26th of May, but I'm, I'm assuming that's Sunday. I think it's, that's Sunday. Uh, 1 p.m. This one, yeah, New York playing on Sunday. It's going to be in New York, SNY Network in New York, ESPN Plus everywhere else. This one, uh, my opinion, will be game of the week because two top four sides vying for you know, New Orleans looking to kind of solidify themselves and New York trying to stay in the top four. Uh, I'll go first, mate. I think New York get them at home. There you go. You might have a chance to pull one back here, but I think New York will get them at home. And uh, it sounds like they're getting healthy and they'll bring back the squad and a good crowd with some good weather there on Sunday at 1 o'clock. I think New York, 27-22. Uh, Tight game. So, um, yeah, this is a tough one. I, I, 
you know, the question really is the about the scrum. And so to me, the question is really, you know, is, is Paddy Ryan going to be able to play? I think if Paddy Ryan doesn't play, I think if they have James Rochford, a uh, um, tight head, I think Nola are able to pretty much hold their own um, in the scrum. Um, hmm. Well, I'm going to have to try and um, get one back, right? So I'm constantly trying to get one back. Every time I do this, I lose, right? But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to try and get one back. So I'm going to have to go with Nola. I think this is going to be, um, you know, New York haven't looked great on attack. You know, they've, they've looked a little lethargic. They haven't looked as crisp as they as they had before. I think, you know, if you can slow them down a little bit, the breakdown, I think you can, um, you know, you can stuff their attack because they're, you know, their forwards work around the corner. And so get up in their face, slow that ball down. I think you can defend. Um, I think I think Nola have a better game. I think they missed Braley last week. Um, and if he's back, I think that's that that would be a big win. So for me, I'm going to go with Nola. Um, but I think it's going to be very, very close. I think it's going to be like 25-23. Yeah, it will be. I don't, that one could come down to the rosters, right? Whoever I think it's going to come down to the rosters. I think it's, it's, you know, there's going to be some bounces of the ball that are going to determine that. It's going to be two teams that are both good teams and one of them is going to get a little bit luckier than the other one. Yep. The other big one on the weekend, it's the Glendale Raptors at Toronto. Both these sides outside of the top four uh, need to to win to have any chance of making the top four. So win and they're alive, lose, and it is all over for 2019 for, I believe, both of them. With the Raptors now having that makeup game against Houston gives them a game in hand. So this one's 2 p.m., uh, 11 a.m., Pacific, it's on Game TV in Canada, ESPN Plus, everywhere else. How do you see this one playing out, Pete? Well, it's interesting because if you look at kind of what's coming up, um, it's hard. It's it, it, a lot of things have to go their way for Glendale to make the playoffs. It is no longer in their hands, right? But for Toronto, it is still in their hands. I think. I think if Toronto win the last two games, right, and they get bonus points. I think it's. I think that they would be, you know, they would be. Uh, um, I think they'll make it. I think like, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I think yeah, that, I yeah. New York in the last round. You're right. My yeah. apologies. So I think yeah. So I think I think I think they'll make it. But if they lose to Glendale, then they're out. So I think both teams have to win. I think Glendale have to win and get a bonus point, and then they have to. A lot of other things have to happen for Glendale to make it. So this is a tough trip for Glendale, right? They're going to head up there. They're it, you know, I'm sure they're talking about, hey, we've still got a chance, we've still got a chance, but they all know it's really unlikely that they're going to make it. And also, you know, Toronto went through their three games in a week, right? They got through it successfully. They had a weekend off to recover. I think they're going to come into this game fresh. And I think that we're going to see the real Toronto, which I'm not sure that we've seen yet, where they've been able to embed with all of their players back. They've really been able to work with them. I think that they're going to win this game. And I think they win this game um, 32-24. So, Glendale gets a losing bonus point. So Glendale needs to get two bonus point wins in the next five days for, right. for to make it plus somebody else stumbling. Right. So, so the deal is even if Glendale get two bonus point wins in the next five days, they could still not make the playoffs depending on how the other results go. It's no longer in their hands. For Toronto, it's still in their hands as long as they beat Glendale and they beat New York. Hang on. The next five days, 
Explain that to me. No, Toronto, Toronto, not the next five so, days. So not like the next five days right now, but they play on Sunday and then they play on okay. Wednesday. That's what I was going to say. It's not tomorrow, is it? I was, I was getting a little scared there, Aaron. You, you put the, <laughs> the frights into me. I'm like, I'm, am I a week away from here? So it's, five, it's a five-day block of Sunday through to Wednesday. Okay, yeah. I'm, We're all on the same page. And it's a great page to be on too. I love it. So I'll go Toronto as well, Pete. Uh, sorry. I know you're probably looking for something different there, but hard to argue at home, and it just feels like they've got more to play for. I think a lot of the guys out of the Raptors after that game were kind of – it had that feeling that their season was over. You know you know that you know when you're looking at guys after a game and they're kind of like you know, very retrospectively and very philosophically looking at the season and, oh, if we hadn't right. had those draws, and it's like, well, we're done. And so I, I, that's a tough road trip to Toronto as well. So I'll go Toronto up there. And then the late game is Utah at Seattle. This one's on Root Sport in the Pacific Northwest, KMYU in Utah, and ESPN Plus everywhere else. This could be a danger game for the Seawolves, Pete. It's uh, Utah. Yeah, Utah, good side. But Seattle come off that big win over Glendale, and I don't know if they're going to be complacent. They do get home after a long, long time on the road. A long time on the road. No, it's not a danger game, Dan. No, it's not. I'll go see it. There's still a lot to play for for these guys, right? So they got that yeah. big win. And I I actually think that Seattle's depth, you may see at this game some of those really high-quality internationals that have been added. Like, you know, I think Nicky might make this the starting line. I think you're going to see some more players um, maybe make the starting lineup. But um, I don't think I don't think this is a letdown game. Partly because Utah played really well last week, so we know that next week they're not going to play well, right? That's kind of how they've how they've worked, um, and so I I think this is Seattle. I think Seattle. I you know Seattle's defense, as I said, have, have had some problems, and you know Utah have some great backs, right? Um, Gannon Moore's great. I like. I really like uh, um, O'Malley at twelve. Um, so I think that they have some ability to hurt. You know, Don Paddy give him the ball with some. With, with some space, he's a challenge. So um, so I think this is a high-scoring game, but I think it's going to be something like Seattle 36, Utah 22. Yep, hard to argue with that. Again, road trip for Utah, not a big one out to Seattle, but I think the Seawolves uh, know that they can lock up that final spot this weekend with another bonus point win. They play Austin in that last week at home. So I think... All focus is on getting the job done this Sunday out there. So I'll go the same thing. I think they're going to put on a treat. Utah will throw it around. I'll go 46-32. I think uh, defense, no one's really going to want to tackle on a Sunday in Seattle. So plenty of tries. But the Seawolves, too good. And uh, looking at you know the power rankings that are released every week, Seattle and San Diego, they're going to be head and head for the, uh, the top spot there coming down the stretch as well. It's... It's really making an interesting run home, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm confident about San Diego. But, you know, anyone else, I'm, I mean, I think Seattle's coming into form and they've got some depth of those two. But even NOLA, I mean, NOLA, despite the great season that they've had, you know, they need both. They, they don't have to win to make the playoffs, but they need to maximize bonus points. So even NOLA, even with their amazing season they've had so far far if they lose their last two games they could find themselves out of the playoffs there's so much to play for for all of these teams 
Oh, there is, and we will be here next week to break it all down for you, Pete. And uh, it should be a great weekend. Enjoy your trip to Houston, mate. Uh, back on CBS, where you belong, I might add, too. I've missed your year. It's, we're going to have to make some phone calls, shoot some emails out, and get the team back together. But uh, down there, christening Aviva Stadium, and uh, we'll catch you next week. That'll wrap the show up for Pete Steinberg. Sorry, sorry, Dan. You were, you were going on and on. I, I Like, it's late here. I, I think I was nodding off. Thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be uh, down there, excited to get back um, uh, um, back uh, behind the microphone. I am and excited for this weekend. And uh, um, thanks again to you and Aaron for doing this a little bit earlier than we normally do it. There we go. Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro. I'm Dan Powell. We will catch you next week, folks. Thanks for chopping by.